0: This is a Triple J podcast. Hack. (laughs) Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack podcast. You've heard a lot about the referendum over the past few weeks and months, but do you understand how it's actually going to work? Like why it's different to an election? Why don't the territories have as much power as the states in deciding the outcome? And actually, will you be turned away from voting if you're wearing a political shirt? Because a lot of people are talking about this as well. We're going to be asking some of these questions a little bit later, also drilling into the polling a bit. How likely is it that all of that opinion polling that's been showing the no case ahead, how likely is it it's wrong? and we could see a very different outcome. Also, we're going to be looking at the darker side of TikTok, where people are filming crimes and uploading them. Why is this happening? First, though. Pack.
1: Thank you so much. You don't know how much your letter and your messages have helped me. What welcome home. Thank
0: you. On Triple J. Out of nowhere yesterday, the Prime Minister held this press conference and dropped a bombshell. An Australian journalist who'd been detained in awful conditions in China for three years had all of a sudden been released. Out of nowhere, Chung Lei was coming back to Melbourne. This is massive news because it's been a real sore spot in Australia's relationship with China, which we know has been strained over the past few years especially. So what does this mean? Like, is the relationship fixed now? In a bit, we're going to ask an expert. But first, here's Shalala Madora.
2: For eight years, Australian Chung Lei worked for the Chinese state-controlled English broadcaster CGTN. My name is Chung Lei, I'm a TV anchor based in Beijing, China, and this is my story. Then suddenly and without warning, in August 2020, Ms Chung was taken into detention.
3: She is being held under what's called residential surveillance at a designated location. Don't let the name fool you. It is not home detention. It basically is prison.
2: At first, we didn't know why Ms Chung was detained. But a few weeks later, it emerged that she was arrested for supplying state secrets overseas, a charge she denied.
1: Well, um, as you've seen, we've just been denied
4: entry into the trial.
2: Australian diplomats wanted to support Ms Chung during her trial in February 2021, but were refused entry into the courthouse. Australian ambassador to China, Graham Fletcher, said officials were not given any information on the charges against her.
1: This is deeply uh, concerning, unsatisfactory and regrettable. We can have no confidence in the validity of a process, uh, which is conducted in secret.
2: Things were already pretty dicey between Australia and China, largely because of the Morrison government's call for an independent review on the origins of the coronavirus in April 2020. But do you trust
0: China? Uh, I trust China in terms of the work that we need to do together. The issues around the coronavirus are issues for independent review and I think it is important that we do that. In fact, Australia will absolutely insist on that.
2: China responded by slapping sanctions on heaps of Aussie goods, including timber, barley, beef and the biggie, coal.
4: Well, each week, relations between Australia and China seemed to take another dive, and now a fresh low.
2: But things started turning when Labor won last year's election and reopened dialogue with the country.
0: A pre-Christmas diplomatic dash. Thank you. The foreign minister boarding a flight no minister has in more than three years.
2: All the while, Ms Chung remained in jail.
0: I miss the
3: sun. In my cell, the sunlight shines through the window but I can stand in it for only 10 hours a year.
2: In August this year, Chung Lei released a public statement via her partner, Nick Coyle.
3: This is a love letter to 25 million people and seven million square kilometers of land, land abundant in nature, beauty, and space.
2: He told ABC 7.30 program the uncertainty of her situation was getting to her.
3: The reality under the, the, the Chinese legal system for an allegation, should it be upheld of this nature, is it could be anything from a fine through to a custodial
5: sentence of 10 plus years in jail.
2: Then yesterday, a breakthrough.
5: This is an outcome that the Australian government has been seeking for a long period of time.
2: Prime Minister Anthony Albanese announcing the mum of two was safely back with her family in Melbourne.
5: When I spoke to uh, Ms Cheng, I, I welcomed her home on behalf of all Australians.
2: A Chinese official said Cheng Lei had confessed to her crime and had been released because her sentence of two years and 11 months had been served.
6: The Judicial Department had this sentence in accordance to law and protect every rights of Chen Lei in accordance to law, including her
2: consular rights. Foreign Minister Penny Wong said Australia had been pressing for her release for a long time.
0: we made clear, since we were elected, that we wanted to stabilise our relationship with China. We wanted to engage and I think you've seen some of the
2: benefits of engagement. Mr Albanese is expected to travel to China later this year and meet with the country's leaders. Another indication that things aren't as frosty as they once were. Hack on Triple J.
0: Shalala Madora with that update. Yeah, definitely an interesting story here. I want to get into it a bit more with someone who knows a lot about China, what the ramifications of this are. James Lawrenson is the director of the Australia-China Relations Institute at UTS, and he's with me now. G'day, James. Thanks for coming on Hack. Pleasure. Pleasure. There's obviously been a lot of hope that Chang Lei would be released by China. Did you expect that it would happen?
1: Uh, I don't think anyone can say they expected it. It was a surprise to everyone. That said, um, it was always possible with. Our Prime Minister Anthony Albanese heading to China in just three weeks. That if something like this was going to happen, now would be the time. And it's um, you know wonderful news that it ha- has indeed happened.
0: So it could be because the PM is about to head over there. That's the thinking.
1: Uh, certainly, Beijing will be wanting to make this visit a success. Um, and it's it's quite um, you know reassuring to me that I think Beijing clearly assesses that they know that if Anthony Albanese travelled to China and came back you know quote unquote empty-handed, then he would be vulnerable to uh, domestic political attacks. Now, there's still plenty of policies that the uh, Beijing doesn't like about the Albanese government, but certainly they have appreciated the return to uh, less chest beating, but more calm and professional diplomacy, and they'd like to see that keep going.
0: Interesting. Is it likely that Australia might have need to have made some kind of agreement or commitment to secure this release?
1: No, I think I feel very confident saying that has not been the case. But what the Albanese government has given, and this isn't new, they started this as as soon as they entered government back in May 2022 was to take a more diplomatic approach. So you've seen um, where the Morrison government was... uh uh, into chess beating, um, Albanese has been really restored, uh, put down the megaphone, restored um, calm and quiet diplomacy. And I think this is a real triumph of, of calm and quiet diplomacy. And no doubt the officials in the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade would have been um, advocating for that. Have there been
0: other Australians that have been detained in China?
1: Yeah, and the obvi- there's an, one Australian who's still quite high profile, Dr Young Heng Jun. Um, he was actually detained before Cheng Lei and he is still detained in China. So, look, the news yesterday was great. Uh, but we're not at the end of the road in terms of freeing the detained Australians.
0: Right, okay. And is there any kind of expectation or understanding about when that other Australian might be
1: released? No, I don't think we've got any information, at least on the public record, about that. His case is more complicated, I think, than Cheng Lei. I mean, Cheng Lei was a, a high-profile Australian journalist working at a Chinese state broadcaster. Um, Yang Heng Jun's background is, is more complicated, but, look, we don't have any more facts and evidence on the public record.
0: What do you think this release of Lei means for Australia's relationship with China. Like you've said that it's definitely improved significantly over at least the past year. Uh, uh, Do you expect it to change more so because of this release?
1: Certainly, certainly. Look, when Anthony Albanese entered government, there were three baskets of problems. I mean, the, first of all, senior leaders, ministers were simply not talking to each other. There was zero senior political dialogue. There was the trade disruptions and there were detained Australians. Now, across all three areas now, um, there's been significant progress. And look, each, each removal of a barrier um, does set up more positive relations. And it It makes it easier for all those non-official engagements, trade, people-to-people exchanges. um, They will flow more easily now as well once the, the two sides at a political level are talking with each other again.
0: This is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with James Lawrenson from the Australia-China Relations Institute about the release of Australian Lei. You might have seen the news, the headlines over the past day. James, is it common for China to, I guess, what, use people effectively as hostages in international relations? Is that a common
1: tactic? We, Yeah, look, we can't say that Lei or Jun are alone um, in being on the receiving end of this tactic. Um, in recent years, we've had two Canadian dis- citizens detained for uh, several years, eventually released. Uh, so yes, it's not entirely uncommon.
0: Why is it important for Australia to strengthen its relationship with China? How important in, uh, in the scope of things for Australia is this particular relationship?
1: Look, China's not going to go away. <laughs> We've long known, since we formed diplomatic relations with China back in 1972, that there are stark differences between Australia and China. I mean, we know the differences in politics, history, culture, language. Uh, more recently, the differences in terms of, you know, big geopolitical and strategic questions have widened. But China's still there, and it's still our number one trading partner, and it's still one of the, our largest source countries for migrants. Um, so, look, this is a relationship that's always been challenging. It's certainly challenging now. but You're far better off managing managing those challenges through dialogue and engagement and trying to focus on areas where we've got mutual interests then backing into a corner and and just screaming from the sidelines.
0: Do you see the relationship, Australia's relationship, with the United States having a real impact with our relationship with China?
1: Look, I think... In the, during the years of the Morrison government, that tendency was more stark. I mean, let's not forget what really sent the Australia China relationship into a tailspin in that, in early 2020. And that was when you had the Morrison government. It's, at least in Beijing's eyes, sounding a whole lot like they were working with the Trump administration to attack China over the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so this is the big fear Beijing has long had, that we're just simply a US proxy. I think since Albanese has come into power, um, the Australian government has taken a more independent stance. And I think Beijing recognises that. For example, if you compare the Australian government statements around Taiwan, they're quite different to what you hear coming out of Washington.
0: Right. Okay. Uh, what did what you see in terms of the months years ahead how do you think things are going to play out
1: The big strategic differences between Australia and China are not going to go away, and it's true. Um, The big, Probably the single biggest difference is that Canberra wants the United States to play a more important role in the region than does Beijing. That's not going to change. But, look, there's a lot of mutual interests as well. Let's not forget, over the last 12 months, the value of Australia's trade with China actually hit a record high. Um, There's lots of good news stories still happening. Um, When it comes to supporting international institutions around trade, such as the World Trade Organisation. I feel very confident in saying that Australia and China actually have more commonalities than does Australia and the United States. Um, so, and the people-to-people ties are strong. COVID-19 19 pandemic is over, and so we're getting more students, more tourists. All of that non-government activity really does add ballast um, and promote a more positive trajectory in the bilateral relationship. It's
0: definitely very interesting. It's a relationship that everyone's always- always always keen to understand more and to really analyse and get into. We appreciate your insight into this. James Lawrenson from the Australia-China Relations Institute, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Hack. Why do people post their crimes on TikTok? On Triple J. When you're getting on TikTok, you're probably expecting a lot of light stuff to keep you distracted, maybe keep you awake, stop you from going to sleep at night. You're probably not wanting to see crimes being committed, but the content's out there. You might be seeing that. People, sometimes kids, posting videos of crimes online, stealing cars, home invasions. It's a trend that's been noticed right across Australia. In Tasmania, police have noticed an increase, they say, and they say they're working hard to get the videos taken down from social media. But they also say that the impact of that kind of content is not just for the offenders, it's potentially having an impact on victims too. Our Tassie reporter, April McLennan, has been looking into it.
4: Cops don't like me, so I don't like
1: cops. Police say these kids are already career criminals. Right, put the phone down now. I'm just uh Is I just the
4: fuel for me. <laughs> put the phone down now. So good
1: the cops up. Shh, shhh!
4: Please stand Open
6: the door! Shut up the place! High-speed police chases, home invasions, hooning and armed robbery. These are some of the crimes young people are filming and posting on sites like TikTok and Snapchat.
4: So far as evidence goes, there's nothing better than having a crime videoed.
6: Stuart Wilkinson's the acting assistant commissioner for Tasmania Police and he reckons we're seeing an increase in these types of videos being posted online.
4: There's a significant amount of data behind these videos as well. There's data in relation to the time it happened, the location it happened, all sorts of things that our forensic experts can dig into and that's what we do. That's a very fruitful piece of evidence once we can actually collect that video.
6: Between July last year to March this year, there was a 40% increase of youth crime in Tassie, and police say there were more than 3,000 crimes committed by young people in the state last year, some of which are being posted online and even live-streamed.
4: Yeah, we certainly have used the videos that circulate as evidence and there's cases, many cases in fact, where we don't have any significant corroborating CCTV evidence and we're relying on videos or photographs that have been posted online.
6: Have you spoken to victims where it's made their experience a lot worse because it's been posted online and other people can see the trauma that they went through?
4: Yeah, absolutely and that particularly is in the case of assaults. It's very traumatising and, and re traumatises them, and, and it's embarrassing for them, and all sorts of nasty things.
5: It's a trend that's sort of formed across the world. Queensland primarily has had a major influence in it and it's filtrated back down through here to Tassie.
6: That's Will Smith. He's the executive director of JCP Youth. It's a group that helps the vulnerable and at risk. And Will says he works with some young people who've previously posted their crimes online.
5: You know, I've got a, a profile here that's from Tassie. It's a young person that's, you know, in their early teens that has, you know, 22,000 followers. And of the eight videos on here, there's, you know, 2.5 million views views 80000 views 75000 views 89000 views so And these are all videos of young people across southern Tasmania, stealing cars, driving at high speed, engaging with the police, being locked up, being in the back of divisional vans, in cells at the police station.
6: On this TikTok profile, it says, no face, no case. In some of the videos, they are showing their faces. Is that a concern to them at all that, hey, this might lead to me getting caught?
5: Yeah, I think when you look at some of the reasons why young people eventually stop, the maturity or the naiveness of young people switches over to the fact that, you know, some of this content actually. Becomes uh, a legal consequence later on.
6: Obviously, Tassie is a pretty small place, everyone seems to know everyone. Is it the case that, you know, a future employer might see something like that?
5: hundred percent. And when you talk about Tassie being a small place, a lot of young people who are engaging in these behaviours are coming from, you know, smaller suburbs and their employment base in those suburbs is actually quite minimal. And so the limiting pool of jobs that are available to them, is infected by some of this content that follows them through.
6: For Will, he's doing his best to educate young people about some of the flow-on effects this type of content can have on the Of their lives.
5: Young people are seeking that um, the validation that social media provides. Um, So, the attention that young people can get on social media platforms, especially by posting content that is so popular, it provides them with those likes, comments, shares, and it boosts their self esteem. And we know that young people who are vulnerable or at risk in the community have low self esteem.
6: Obviously, there's a lot of these videos online. Do you think platforms like TikTok and Instagram should be held more responsible to moderating this type of content?
5: Yeah, it's so interesting because, you know, when we bring up the profile of this young person here in Tasmania and you click on one of the videos, it actually will have, you know, this, this video participates in activity that could result in you or others getting hurt. So TikTok has moderated the video to the point where they know it's not appropriate, but they still allow it to be on the platform.
6: In a statement to Hack, TikTok says it's committed to removing content that promotes or endorses criminal activity. The company says it removes millions of videos every year and accounts are banned for breaking its guidelines. And TikTok says it regularly works with law enforcement around the country when needed. Hack on Triple J.
0: April, McLennan with that story. And yeah, a lot of messages coming through on that one. Time to move on, though.
5: Hack. We're going to be voting in our
0: first
1: ever referendum. But what is a referendum exactly?
0: On Triple J. A couple of days to go until the voice to parliament referendum. Heaps of people have voted already, maybe trying to get in early before Saturday. Maybe you're going to go away or you've got other plans over the weekend. If you're not a political nerd you may not know a whole lot about how referendums in particular work. For a lot of us, it's the first referendum we have voted in. We know we've got to write yes or no. You don't have to tackle those huge Senate ballot papers. So what else do we need to know? And what's happening with the last-minute opinion polls at the moment? Let's find out. Got an expert with us. Casey Briggs, a data journalist and presenter with the ABC. Hey, Casey, thanks for coming on Hack. Can I ask you first, how is a referendum different to a normal election?
3: There's a lot in common, first of all, because it is a big national electoral event being run by our Electoral Commission on Saturday. Millions of people will go to probably the same place they voted in last year's federal election to cast their vote in this one. It's compulsory. You have to vote. And the, the results, the, the polls will close at 6pm and the results will be counted in the same way as really any other election with a few differences. The differences start to come in. Well, there's no candidates, obviously. Everyone is voting yes or no. You can kind of almost think about it as an election between two candidates where one is called yes and the other is called no there are no preferences to distribute there are no you know issues around numbering of boxes or anything like that so the ballot paper is considerably simpler that means it's probably also going to be quicker to count them and get the numbers on saturday and of course the other big big difference is while we'll get results for every single electorate you'll know how your local area has voted The result of the referendum isn't determined by individual electorates or individual MPs. The result will be determined based on the results in each of the states and across the nation.
0: Okay, a double majority is what's needed in a referendum, and people might not understand that. Can you explain how a double majority works? So...
3: There are two conditions, basically. The first, for this referendum to pass, uh, most Australian voters must vote yes. So, of all of the votes across the country, more than half of them must be yes. That's number one. If that's a yes, then the other condition is that a majority of voters in a majority of states must vote yes. So we can simplify that even a bit further just by saying essentially that most states must vote yes for this referendum to pass. So that is at least four states where most people vote yes. If if there's any less than that, uh, this referendum will have been defeated. The territories do not count in that second condition because the territories aren't in the Constitution in the same way that the states are. That's not how that Constitution was written when it was adopted in 1901. Uh, a lot and of people are going to be annoyed about that. A lot of people are going to be annoyed about that. The frustrating thing, of course, for anyone living in the territories is uh, in order to be included in that second condition in future referendums... States would have to agree, voters in states would have to agree to dilute their own voting power in referendums to give Territorians, and they might want to do that out of the goodness of their heart. No one's tried recently to mount that argument, but but that is the reason we're in this position where people in, in Canberra and the ACT, people in the Northern Territory, your votes will be counted toward the national total, but the territory totals do not get counted in that second condition.
0: Interesting distinction, and uh, definitely Territorians across the board will be keen to know that. We've been hearing a lot about opinion polls, uh, the no case being ahead or the, the no vote being ahead. Where are we at at the moment with the polls, Casey? So the polls have been just showing this steady
3: decline in support for The Voice. I think that decline has slowed a little bit. It is a little bit unclear with the polls that we've seen in the last week or so. We're seeing a a bit of a a spread of variation in them. But they are all, every single reputable poll we're seeing, pointing toward no being well ahead. Our average that we have been calculating of all of the polls for, for months now at the moment has yes sitting at somewhere in the low 40s, and that is a number that is lower than the number that was recorded in the Republic referendum in nineteen ninety-nine. So if those right. polls are borne out on Saturday night, if that's the kind of number we're seeing, we're actually seeing less, fewer share of Australians voting in this for this referendum than than we saw in ninety nine. So that's been the trend and it's been a very long, slow decline. You know, go back a year ago and you were seeing yes sitting at, you know, nearly two-thirds support. That is of course when, you know, the question wasn't Finalized. I think the idea was a bit vaguer in people's minds. the The very long and at times very uh, bitter debate that we've been having in this country for for most of this year hadn't really kicked off at great intensity. What we've seen is the longer the debate that this debate has gone on, the longer that this question has been around, the longer that these campaigns have been running. No has just been steadily chipping away at Yes's support to the point where they're now well behind.
0: This is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with ABC data journalist Casey Briggs about the voice referendum, what we're likely to see, some of the trends that we've seen over the past few months. Do we know how each of the states are going to fare? Like, do we know which way different states are going to vote, what it's looking like, whether they're more likely to vote yes or no? No. So I'll just say there's less
3: polling in states. Uh, The sample sizes are smaller than the national polls. So I'll just say that at the front, Mm -hmm. that we're a lot less certain about individual states than the guide that we're getting from national polls. Having said that, the consistent picture, and certainly if you're looking at a number in the low 40s or high 30s, which a lot of the polls are coming up with nationally, you can't get that kind of number mathematically without most states, if not all states, voting no as well. The one that is... A little bit of a mystery at the moment is Tasmania. We don't get a lot of polling. We don't get very big samples in Tasmania. We saw one earlier this week that had yes ahead of no. That's um, a bit and a bit of an outlier, but that is the one that I think there is just. Genuinely, a bit of we don't quite know exactly what Tasmania will do. If you were to rank the others, you think you know that the polling is suggesting Queensland and WA probably sitting more on the no side, New South Wales and Victoria maybe more on the yes side, South Australia maybe in the middle, but again, it's a bit unclear because it's a smaller state with smaller polling. So, um, we don't have as clear an idea. Um, The numbers that we're seeing would suggest uh, that most states, if not all, uh, would be voting. No, but again, this is polling. Mm. It's a temperature check. It's a snapshot. Um, it, it is always measuring backwards. There could be a very late surge. It would have to be a very, 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 very big surge in yes uh, to see that change. The polls could also be wrong. They would have to be very, very, very wrong and more wrong than we've ever seen before.
0: I was going to ask, as someone who spends your time looking at polls, really crunching these numbers all the time, Some people are saying maybe the polls are wrong. Maybe they're all completely wrong. How likely is it in your head that that's the case?
3: Look, I'm never going to (laughs) say absolutely, you know, that the polls are a perfect... They're not. They're, they're statistical random samples. There is uncertainty in them. But having said that, the, the biggest polling fail we have in Australia in modern political history is 2019. 2019 federal election when Scott Morrison won that surprise miracle victory, right? The polls were out there by about three percentage points. It really mattered because it was a close election. So three percentage points out when you're nearly at a 50 fifty result really matters. and that's why the you know the polls are wrong in a way that really was important. This time, you'd have to be seeing the polls wrong by seven, eight, nine, ten percentage points. That is a lot more than we've seen before. I'm not going to say it's impossible, mm. but it's exceedingly unlikely that every pulse consistently is getting the mood so incorrect. If they are, there is a real reckoning coming for the polling industry.
0: This is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with ABC data journalist Casey Briggs about the voice referendum, what we're likely to see, some of the trends that we've seen over the past few months. Casey, a lot of people are asking about voting rules as well. They might have seen some stuff from the Electoral Commission about whether or not you're allowed to wear political clothing when you go to vote. What are the rules? Are there real severe rules in terms of how you can dress when you go to vote? So the rules, they're
3: basically the same as they are for an election, which is you're not allowed to campaign in polling places. You're not allowed to campaign within, I think it's six metres of a polling place either. If you are someone that is, you know, handing out flyers on the day wearing a campaign T-shirt and you walk in in your T-shirt and just go in and vote and, you know, that's it. And then you leave and you go back to campaigning. You're probably not falling foul of that no campaigning rule, but the commission's advice has just been about, it can be a bit of a grey area, I think, Mm. what's seen to be campaigning. You know, if you walk in and you start talking to someone about the vote or about the referendum and you're wearing a campaign t-shirt is that campaigning if you gesture to your shirt in a way that someone could perceive as as you gesturing at the logo could that be seen as campaigning Uh, i think that the commission is just very keen to avoid confusion and conflict and so their advice has just been if you are wearing a shirt if you're wearing a badge maybe take off the badge while you
0: vote take off the hat while you vote cover your shirt hey good advice Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Casey Briggs, data journalist at the ABC. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Dave. We've got a lot of messages coming through on the text line, people asking questions. A lot of those can actually be answered if you go to Hack's Instagram. We've got heaps of information up there that you'll find if you're about to vote, getting ready, uh, trying to figure out how it all works. There's a bunch of great uh, stories, uh, resources there. So go check them out. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time. Hack on Triple Jack.